0: Let's pray. Holy word, you are our guide and ultimate assurance. By your holy spirit, open us to your promises and commands and shower us again with the fire of your love. Amen. Our first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 verses, excuse me, yes, verses 1 through 8. It's called Comfort for God's People. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert, Make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level, and rough terrain a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear, and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. A voice was crying, call out, and another said, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and its loyalty is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up, and the flowers wither when the Lord's breath blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass dries up, but flowers wither. But our God's word will exist forever. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 Through 18, then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, What then should we do? He answered, Whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no money, no more money than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled filled with expectation and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his thrashing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people.
1: Our sermon text this morning comes from the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Rejoice, daughter Zion! Shout, Israel! Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your judgment. God has turned away your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will no longer fear evil. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, don't fear Zion. Don't let your hands fall. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you those worried about the appointed feast. They have been a burden for fear, a reproach. Watch what I am about to do to all your oppressors at that time. I will deliver the lame, I will gather the outcast, I will change their shame into praise and fame throughout the earth. At that time, I will bring all of you back. At the time when I gather you, I will give you fame and praise among all the neighboring peoples. When I restore your possessions and you can see them, says the Lord. Word of God for the people of God. A lot of times in the evenings in our house, when we're trying to bring the energy level down and, and are praying for bedtime to come we will turn on some kind of really low key documentary or something that you know might be labeled boring to some in our house and we do that often and one of our go-tos is the show nova you know they talk about a lot of interesting things and usually the kids get interested in it once it gets going but we did that last night we were watching a show about the milky way our galaxy and talking about its beginnings and all the things that you know, astrophysicists have been able to observe and what has happened and what's going to happen. And in watching this, as Aaron and I were talking, it becomes real quick, you know, you know how difficult it is to grasp any of this. I mean, they're talking in the span of billions of years, of these things happening. And it's really interesting to see these, you know, astrophysicists excited and talking about these things that are going to happen in 4.5 billion years. But in watching that, one of the things that becomes clear is just the vastness of everything that exists in order for us to live here on Earth all of the moving parts that have to be in certain places for us to be in this certain spot, a certain distance from our sun, so that life can exist. It wasn't always the case, and it won't always be the case, that we are in the right spot to support life. I thought about that, and as I was reading this, this text from the prophet Zephaniah, text written, you know, roughly 600 years before the birth of Jesus. It helped illustrate for me that God operates in a way and on a time frame that I will never understand or comprehend. There's a vastness to the way that God operates that is just mind-blowing. We can't comprehend big numbers. It's been proven that when you start talking about billions that our brains don't understand how to comprehend that. I've seen interesting graphics to show, especially when you're talking about wealth and things like that, but we don't understand numbers that big. Now for the people listening to this prophecy, they didn't have any concept of any of that. They had heard the story of creation over and over again. They looked up at the stars and I'm sure wondered just like we do. But if they knew anything, they knew that God was operating in a time and in a space that they couldn't quite understand. This prophecy comes as the people are struggling with exile, as the people are outside of their promised land. And God promises a return and a freedom from their oppression. But as with many of God's prophecies, they're layered. It's true that the people would return from their exile. They would rebuild the temple. They would return to life in the promised land. But that didn't last long. Oppression came back. First the Greeks, then the Romans. And again, the people were struggling to understand when would this happen? When would the prophecy and the promises finally be fulfilled? So I've talked about the fact that the people were waiting. They were in this mode of anticipation, waiting for God to act. And they had expectations of what was to come. But the problem with expectations is is often we expect certain things that aren't necessarily what were promised. It's true that God promised relief from oppression. That promise happens over and over again in the Old Testament. And that didn't come to pass as they expected. But if we look at this text a little deeper, God was already giving glimpses as to what was about to happen. In verse 19, I will deliver the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and fame throughout the earth. God was always concerned with those whom we decided weren't worthy enough. Whom we decided didn't fit in. Whom we decided were outside of God's love. It is those people that God spoke about in the promises made. Those people who would be delivered from their oppression those people who would enjoy a new place in the world. The challenge with these promises is we like to paint ourselves as those who would be included in these categories. If you look at the New Testament stories when it's, you know, the Pharisees and Jesus going back and forth, we always like to think we're in the group that Jesus is talking about, but if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of times we're probably more like the Pharisees. We're more like the ones trying to be the gatekeepers. Last week I talked about the prophetic voice being silent for 400 years, but even in that silence, God never stopped moving towards the fulfillment of this promise. God never stopped creating new things. Even when we couldn't notice them, God was there. I think about that when I think about our universe, its vastness. When I struggle to comprehend our place in the midst of it, I think it's the ultimate display of God's love for us. God's love for us is so vast that it's incomprehensible. It exists to such depths that we cannot even even fathom it. And yet, each and every step along the way, we're reminded of that love. That God never let us go. That God never said we were unworthy. That God never said we couldn't come back. That's the gift of Advent and the season of anticipation and waiting. That is the gift of being reminded of just who God is and who we are. Of God's love for us. Love that would become embodied in a human being. One who had been promised long ago to bring about the kingdom of God to remove the weight of sin and death, and to restore us once and for all. Jesus' ministry was all about delivering the lame and gathering the outcast. Jesus was criticized for who he associated with, those who were dirty and unclean, tax collectors, the lame those with diseases those deemed unrighteous as we think about our place in the story the story of advent the story of christmas let us remember who is being delivered who these promises are for and let us be people to take these promises to those who are still called outcasts, to those who are still thought of as less than, who are deemed unworthy, who are deemed unlovable. And let us embrace the depth and the width and the unfathomable amount that God loves us, because that is the good news, that is the hope. That came in Jesus' birth. That is the hope we are called to go out into the world and deliver to the people. It is the hope that saves us.